season two of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from TD was recorded on October 12th, 2023. Hi, guys. Hi, I'm TD. I'm so happy to be here today and to see your faces. And I, of course, I always have like a massive amount of things that go wrong whenever I become get, come to ACA to speak. <laughs> Just like guaranteed. I think it's like when you're an actor or an actress and you decide to book a situation out of town and then all of a sudden you get a job, but you have to actually book it, the flight, the airplane, <laughs> you can't fake it. It's like the universe knows that whole Mr. M Murphy guy that I'd like to dig a hole in the background and bury him like an Irish girl would. Of course, he's just a figure of speech. I actually put that on at my social media once and... Um, and I got AI'd for being violent, which is really funny because it's just a figure of speech, people. Okay. <laughs> hey, I just want to say thanks for having me, Voices Across America. I love you guys. My life has improved so greatly from meeting all of you. And thank you for that. Thanks for asking me to share. Um, I want to thank everyone who's listening today here live and also in the podcast because listeners is a big service for us people that haven't been heard or haven't been seen so thanks to all of you have your cameras on too so i'm not just talking to some squares with names on them i really appreciate that too and um just just a forewarning here i'm probably going to say we a lot and i'm not trying to we you i'm a we because i i am a lot of parts and i'm actually been diagnosed with disassociation identity disorder about 20 something years ago. So I've spent a lot of time working on my inner family, the parts of me, the people of me, and I do speak a, a lot of we, so just giving you a forewarning on that. And also I, I am a singer and I am, it's my first language. Um, it sounds like a nifty thing to say, but it's actually true. Um, I was singing before I was speaking um, in the crib and I find it easier to communicate direct from the heart when I sing. So I might, I might sing, I haven't planned to sing, but it could happen, um, as it comes up. So I'll just let you know that too. And, uh, I thought I would just, if any of you know the seeing and listening prayer, I was hoping to put it on the screen, but, oh, wait, maybe you could put it on the screen, Sandy. Can we make you, a, can I make you a co-host and have you put it on the screen? So we can say a prayer together. That'd be nice. Can you guys make Sandy a co-host so she can put a prayer up, please? Thank you. The seeing and listening prayer. We can come back to it if it's going to take too long to get to. Is that Sandy M? Yes. Done. Okay. Is it coming, Sandy? Okay. So yes, if you could please unmute and join me in the ACA Seeing and Listening Prayer. One. Otherwise, we can all just take a deep breath and let it out in time. What we see, God, let us truly see. What 
we hear, let us truly hear. That's the seeing and listen. That's the set of seeing and listening prayer. But we'll do the set aside prayer here in a minute if we can get it going. Here it is. Oh, that's the set seeing and listening. Okay. Do we have set aside, Mary? <laughs> and Sandy? Oh, so sorry. <laughs> Hold on. Of course I, we do. I should have got this for y'all earlier. Pardon me for that. Well, I'm going to pray until it comes up. God, I just thank you for this time that you have set aside for all of us. I ask that you would put the words on my lips that you would want to speak to all of us, that I ask for the blessing, ask for all distractions, dark entities, forces, the past, blame, shame, destruction, all of those things to be walled off and bound from us, our minds, hearts, and in this share today. And thank you for giving us this time that we can spend together. And here's the set aside prayer. God. Please help uh, me set aside everything that I think I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. So I was going to, I'll tell you a little about my, my experience. I, I come from a lot of uh, trauma and uh, I started off with, um, I, my earliest childhood memory is running from my mother. She was the, my qualifier. She was very jealous of me. I was triangulated in a relationship with my parents, which means that I was the third party to their relationship. Um, I had a tremendous guilt feelings for being uh my dad's favorite person, the light of his life. Uh, my mother was very jealous of that. And she rejected me and she abused me and she abused my brother. And my brother is no longer living. When we read in ACA that this is a very serious disease that ends up in addictions or ODing or homelessness and suicide, it's very real. And I am one, I am no for a fact no doubt I'm here because I have found this material. And I, I want to say I found God because when I found God is when I found this material. And that's my big awakening. And I was very walled off to faith, to not faith, but to God and all of these scary ideas because I grew up in also physical uh, physical abuse that was the qualifier. My mother was the one that was religious and took me to church. She never took a drink. In her life, clearly the dysfunction was passed down to her. No doubts about that. Her father, my grandfather, abused me physically really intensely since I was almost three, two and a half to three. And my mom refuses to uh, acknowledge that he would have maybe abused her, which I think is Im impossible because why would he hit me? Um, and my, and she couldn't deny that happened because my grandmother was there. She witnessed it. So. Uh, my early, another early childhood memory for me is running from her. I was very scared of her. Um, she would, her face would change and I felt like it looked like a mad cat in my little childlike mind. I pretended that it was like when the Wicked Witch came, uh, I was like, oh, I had to make that not my mom basically. And I was a Gen X kid. So I was in front of the television a lot. I was also the hero child. 
um, because when my little brother was born, my mother, I remember the look on her face. It was so smug and I was so excited to have a baby brother. And I saw her holding him and I knew that for sure I was going to be a second class citizen from the age of three and a half. I, I understood that. And the first picture of me holding him, I'm three and a half years old. And if you see the pictures in my eyes, you would think that was a, I mean, seriously, I look like a 40 year old and I'm three and a half. And my pictures of me at three years old, there's one that's a professional photo when I had just been abused by my mom and she took me to get my picture taken. I wasn't having, I had a black eye coming and a big fat lip. And um, I don't know what level of insanity happens where you abuse your child and then go take a photograph of her. Um, that's, I, I mean, it's insanity, dysfunction and alcoholism and the effects of living with alcoholism is unmanageable for me and all of us. And it is um, the tragedy. It's growing up in a hostile home. I look overwhelmed at three years old. I was overwhelmed. I still have to tend to that three-year-old inside of me that doesn't have a lot of words. So sometimes when I'm triggered and we use the word trigger in the studies of what becoming your own loving parent as a call to parent, instead of saying, oh, I'm triggered. It's like, no, there's someone inside of me that needs help right now. So I need to take that time and find out what that story is, however that can be, which I'll talk about some of those tools to get in touch with your inner kids. And there's lots of that in our material. Um, but yeah, that call to parent thing is big. There's a lot of meetings on it too, if you guys want to find those. And it's really, really helped me and it's very intense work. It's pretty much cuts to the quick. And I get that overwhelmed feeling. I'm very happy that I have that photo. The first time I asked to see it, my mom sent it to me. And when I opened it up out of the package, I melted into a thousand pieces into tears like that age. And just really, wow, this happened. I really was wearing that yellow scratchy dress the day I was abused and photographed. And I have compassion on that part of myself, my little three-year-old self, you sweet little girl. She didn't come out, know that her mom wanted brown hair and she came out a blonde. I mean, these rejections were any and every which way. Um, and the physical abuse is so terrifying. Being that Gen X kid in front of a TV, I was too young to understand what was happening when I was be being physically abused and I was being sexually molested also by a friend of the family at the same age, two and a half to age three through five. I can't understand that. I don't even know what it is. I just know it makes me feel bad. So I began to split up my brain at that point and say, I'm going to pretend like that's not me. And I'm going to be able to separate that and have that's like a bad me and a good me. And I remember that I was surprised that my parents didn't know that there was more than one child in our house. <laughs> I was surprised. They'd ask me who ate the cookies. I'm like the bad one. I thought I had a bad self. I would use my name. And I had a strategy to count. So this kind of gives you a little bit of insight of to the psychological hell <laughs> I was in. A, basically, I can only describe it as being terrorized. It's true terror to have abusers coming to your home. There was more than just the friend of the family that happened down the line that had quite organized in a pedophilia type of way. And that's really hard to handle. And I have to have compassion on myself. When I was watching Sesame Street and I saw Count Dracula come on and he was like, wah, 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 it's so scary and everything. 
I thought, oh, I felt fear. And so I could identify that as fear. So I said, oh, fear is, um, fear is, it means you're supposed to count. I'm trying to make sense out of how I feel, out of what fear means. I feel scared. I feel the same way when I see Count Dracula. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's time to count. So I decide that when I'm being abused, it must be mean that it's time to count. So I count whatever I can count. I figured out that I did this at a, in a, as an adult because when I would be in an com- uncomfortable situation, I would straight go into counting, un- almost unconsciously be like 14 items on the table, three fans, and it would just give my mind something to do. And so I have a little song about that that's coming to my mind right now because I felt like a little cat. And so I wrote a song called Cat and Mouse. So I'm just going to, I'll just sing whatever comes to my head. Uh, let's see. The mouse chases the cat all through the hell house. Somewhere. Wait, what am I saying? The mouse doesn't chase the cat. The cat chases the mouse. I'm already rewriting my story. See, this is what we do. We have to flip the switch here. Uh, let's see. Let me do it right now. <laughs> the cat chases the mouse all through the hell house somewhere in the fear comes the blackout happening behind the dark scenes when no one is looking to pass the time the mouse counts things count dracula taught me on sesame street if something scary's going down, it's time to count. One, two, three, and four. Steps loud to the basement door. This helps the brain to disown the pain. There are days I can't remember. And there are days I wish I could forget. But I'll overcome. There is healing in true love. So that's part of that song. And that was how I felt until my teenager came about, which none of you of us have that protecting teenager that shows up to protect all of us and our little ones. I was under that spell, thought this was my role. I'm the hero. I take care of the things around the house. My parents are busy going to school or my mom is passed out, maybe on drugs. I'm not sure for like prescription depressions. I can't wake her up. I don't know what that means. I offer myself by the age of 12 to be dis- to be abused by her so that she will not abuse my baby brother. My baby brother was just born. I was pretty much his mom. I offered myself to go to the basement where the one, two, three, and four steps left to the basement door. That is me already counting to take care of this abuse. And later in life, I married someone that would abuse me. And I remember the moment that I thought, I wish he would just hit me because then it would just be over. And the the yelling and all the abuse stuff, because the abusers do all of the yelling and put you down. But then when they smack you or hit you or do the physical thing, some of that, they stop the yelling release mostly. They've got it out. So it's like, okay, now I can get, can we get to the over part yet? 
And that really caught my attention to know, wow, I am, I need some help here. I have, my parents got married young, like most uh, people did in that era. So my mom went from my dad's, her dad's house to my father's house. It only recently occurred to me that maybe she was running away from her father, which she doesn't admit. My dad was drafted into Vietnam at age 24. He was already a teacher. They were already married. Very traumatic. He came back from Vietnam with PTSD. Alcohol became his choice to handle his PTSD and workaholism. So I absolutely was raised to be an, a workaholic. I couldn't be an alcoholic because I was a kid, but I knew that I could. I just modeled myself after him because he was the one I bonded with. Not that it was a perfect relationship, but I took after him and I look like him and we both like sports and we both like music and we like all these things that um, I could have that getaway with my daddy and was so supportive of my music career. So I grew up singing on stage since I was four. It is my sacred place, my special place, because no one can hurt me when I'm on stage. And when that teenager came into play, uh, this is that part of that song. The mouse clings to the cat. Imagine that until one day the mouse grows into a rat, much to the cat's dismay. Now some gutter rats are big and some house cats look so small. There'll be no more chasing this one down the hall. There are days I do remember. There are days I never will forget. The rat closed the door. And you can't hit me anymore. You can't hit me anymore. <laughs> you can't hear me anymore. But that moment was a very dramatic one because my I was getting ready to sing at a baccalaureate in my hometown, small town, Kansas, which was about 2,500 people at this performance. And I was stuck. My people were leaving above me in the class. And I'm a teenager. The whole world is crashing. My friends are not going to be here for the summer. And I was sad. And I was really focusing, trying not to cry. So I was putting my makeup on the one bathroom we could get ready. And she comes by, you're so vain. I knew there was something wrong with you the minute I held you in my arms. Um, and she, and I said, no, not right now, mom. And that was back talk. So don't you back talk me. She went to slap me and my hand automatically went to catch it. I was still in a lot of blackout about how much I had been abused. I, I couldn't deny the abuse I heard happening to my brother because I didn't need to black out or disassociate from it. But it was, it's been very painful to remember his crying for help and not being able to help him. It's a great torture to me. I didn't start to remember those feelings until after he passed away, which is around a year ago. And um, his death is still under investigation. But once he, I knew I didn't have to protect him is when those buried memories and emotions returned, repressed memories and repressed emotions returned, which is definitely something that happens in ACA. And the big red book talks a lot about it because you do need to be warned when you come here and if you can handle what comes up in six meetings, then you have begun an irreversible process of healing that will stay with you. Because once you see, you can't unsee. 
Once you hear, you can't unhear it. You can try, but the denial and the blame, game, shame thing doesn't work anymore once you really do know. And that's why you can't lose time in ACA because once you've committed, not talking about if you're a visitor, visitors come, hang out, listen, and don't really get involved, participate. I'm talking about you guys who decide to be in meetings, decide to share, decide to serve, decide to read the material and really decide that I want my life to get better. These laundry list tra traits are not serving me, not working today. They don't work anymore. And a lot of people that I've friends with in ACA will say, uh, you know, why can't I just be a badass bitch like I used to be? And I just laugh because I'm like, because you can't anymore. It doesn't work. You're not in denial. Why can't I just go out and just like party with my friends and get drunk and like have a free night? I'm like, because it doesn't work. You're not in denial. <laughs> These mechanisms won't work. And my workaholism worked for a very long time. And it worked um, right up until the pandemic. And then I couldn't, all my venues were closed to play. All my tours were canceled. I wasn't going on any of the cruise ships to sing my songs. And it was all just stop. I'm so grateful for this timeout that I've had. And I'm on a current timeout that even though right now, even though the pandemic is past, I'm on a personal timeout by God because, and I'll probably talk about that <laughs> today, just to be perfectly honest at where I am, of course. Uh, so my adult life had a lot of trauma too. I'm going to move past the experiences soon. My adult life, I had seven home invasions. The first one happened when I was in my early 20s. I caught these robbers in my house. I kicked them out. I deed them from a lineup and put them back in prison. Didn't make the gang too happy. There was a gang member in there that is currently in ACA that I remembered. He was in, I noticed the timing in his location because he would talk about it in his shares. And it turns out he was the guy that one of the guys that was in that gang that I had originally put back and to prison. <laughs> he wasn't the guy, just one of the guys. Uh, but that was a life-changing thing for me. That's when I found this AC material and when I had a spiritual enlightenment because I was desperate. It was my rock bottom. I was very scared. These gang members were definitely going to kill me. And before that, at age 19, I had been kidnapped for four, five hours by a stranger um, who nabbed me outside of my acting school. And I woke up to him taking off my panties in a dusty dark room with bars on the windows and totally traumatized, scared. I believe I spoke about this at this meeting um, before. And that was the first time I ever really talked about that publicly. I've finally come to be able to handle that experience. And I, I was, I did, obviously I survived. So I got away from him by outwitting him and true story, not reacting to my situation. So when we talk about we became actors, not reactors in, in our material on the flip side, it's just uh, couldn't be more vital. I mean, we, it's, it's a big deal. It'll change the course of your life. It, can, it, saved, it saved me by being able to talk this man out of hurting me. The last, the, one of the big traumas of uh, my adult was I, I had a stalker. I've had lots of stalker problems being a public figure. And one of the stalkers came and beat me into a coma. That was a real life-changing experience. Um, 
I have a tremendous amount of PTSD, of course. Uh, and then I had another home invasion where a man came in and broke my hand. And that was in 2016. And I was street attacked two years ago. So these things keep happening to me. So I'm just trying to learn how to deal with it and really, be, really, really trust, you know, my, my gut instincts, which are also really vital for safety for me. And I believe for all of us, there's on the part of the understanding that I came to get was staying out of the, the shame blame game. I don't want to give in to shame because I truly know it's not my fault. So actually, maybe I need to read that. Yeah, let's read about that. Okay, so here's about here's in the Big Red Book, page 86. As a children in an alcoholic home, we are horrified by the images we have of ourselves. What we re reflected in this distorted mirror of alcoholism are projected images of hostility and hate. In a desperate effort to connect and belong, we force ourselves to fit these distorted images and become false selves to keep from feeling isolated and alone. Sadly, we often become mirrors for our family, struggling without success to reflect the love we need for ourselves. This tragic reversal further robs us of the chance to form an identity based on being valued and loved. The strength of this desperate attachment becomes clearer when we attempt to change the family's belief about who we must be and find a less violent identity. And if you think about, there's just no other way we could have turned out. And I hope if you get anything out of this share today, that you would just get that. Just understand it's not your fault. It wasn't your parents' fault either. This is a passed down thing. And if you want to break the cycle, this is where you do it. I'm doing it. It's very hard. There's a saying that says, uh, to be free is, is those people that want this will have to take this with a violent force. The reason that it says take it with a violent force is because recovery is not a passive thing to do. If you want to break down these massive structures that you came from, like I came from, <laughs> then I'm going to have to, it's not a, it's not passive. Recovery isn't passive. It's actually to break is a violent move. And I like to think of it that way because it really is war. It's war over my soul. It's war over me to fulfill my destiny. And that means it's war for me to reach people that I'm destined to meet that are going to bring me healing too. And I'm going to have it for them. We're all just walking each other home, right? Back, back to home in this life. And especially here in ACA, which I love you guys so much. So this I love. This is on page 105 in the Big Red Book. And this just gives you a little picture. When alcohol, uh, let's see. Powerlessness and unmanageability is incomplete without the disease co concept of a dysfunctional family is an alcoholism, family dysfunction. When alcoholic or other dysfunction is present in a family, every member of the family is affected. We are affected in body, mind, and spirit. 
Through the first 18 years of our lives, our families had 6,570 days to shame, belittle, ignore, criticize, or manipulate us during the most formative years of our being. That's 160,000 hours of living in dysfunction with unhealthy parenting. And that is 72 seasons of sorrow that is stored deeply in the tissue of our bodies. The dysfunction is encoded into our souls as the, to be the false self. To survive this long exposure to a family dysfunction, our minds developed deeply entrenched roles and traits that changed the meaning of words and experiences. Some of us misremember the damaging nature of the abuse because we depended upon our abusers for food and shelter. As children, we did not have the option to leave our homes. If our parents slapped us, molested us, or neglected us, we had to live with them. We had to figure out ways to survive. The subconscious survival decisions we made as children involved changing the meaning of words. Because we were vulnerable, we changed the way we perceived the emotional and physical abuse. We feared for our safety or feared we had caused these things to happen. We developed stories that minimized our parents' behavior or which convinced us that they, we were wrong and deserved their harmful behavior. We came to believe that we deserved to be hit or criticized with brutality. We confused molestation for love because the person molesting us was a relative hitting or was a relative, where did that go? Describing, was a relative, describing such actions as love. Pardon me with that. Some confused thinking about hitting or touching fueled our, our denial. As adults, the confusion allows us to stay, say we had normal childhoods when we really were living through a childhood hell. I think of the, um, the home that I grew up in as a hostile home. And I think that only angry children come from hostile homes. So I don't need to feel shame of my anger. My anger is actually hurt. Underneath my anger or rage is I'm very hurt. Why am I hurt and sad? I'm hurt and sad because I had unmet needs. Well, I have unmet needs. How do I know they're unmet? Because they were, because I had an expectation. I was born with the expectation that someone was going to take care of me, that someone was going to provide shelter, food, comfort, love, encouragement to me. So when I didn't have those things, and those needs are written in my being, written in what I would say the soul, my heart. My heart knows when things are wrong because I know what's supposed to be right. My heart tells me I can say this world sucks because I know that this is not the state of the world that the creator had in mind when, it, when we were given this opportunity to live here. So I want to be that violent, take it by force. I want it to end here. I don't have children, but I just needed to end here anyway. I wanted to end, stop, stop, stop. So the six cycle carousel is one way I describe it. So it talked about mirroring right here. And all of those days that our parents had that chance, that's a lot of time, isn't it? So we have to be patient with ourselves. Me, I have to be patient with all those myself because it took a long time for me to get here. And I re-imprinted those laundry list traits and ideas, which are basically lies about myself that I chose to believe. I was looking in a mirror at my parents. Let's pretend like they're a mirror. It's like a mirror that is a distorted mirror. Like when you... And our reading just said that. So if you're looking in this distorted mirror, you can't really see who you are because the glass is all warped and broken. 
And I, as a child, and children do think their parents are God. We believe what they say, because what else do we have to go on? And that created a negative uh, self-image for me, but it was also, it was distorted self-image. It's not the truth. So, but I believed it. Now, my life experience and the lies that I choose to believe about what I look like spiritually inside that ugly inside I'm not going to go hear you sing because you're so ugly inside and everyone will know will tell me how pretty and beautiful my daughter is but I'll know how ugly you really are those are the things that I was told by my mom so I believe that lie once I believe the lie it's so it, it is so uh all those lies are so disturbing and relentless that I need a way to get out of it and I can't find I don't know the way out so I choose an action that will give me a temporary relief and that action could be anything that action could be love and love an addict situation my codependency pulls of course I'm codependent I have no shame about that I'm a para-alcoholic that's what it means when we read in the big red book para-alcoholics we became para-alcoholics rather Maybe we became alcoholics, but we became para-alcoholics without even picking up the drink because that's codependency and we became codependent. So I'm codependent. I have no shame about it. I, I have to have my radar on it. I have to have my radar up on that one. So I look for something to escape. I fall into an addiction, workaholism, sex, drugs, alcohol, over-serving, whatever that is. And then I feel bad about it after. And after I sleep with a guy or whatever, or get drunk and all those actions, I feel bad. So that I feel bad, that sends me right back into the shame. And that shame sends me right back into that distorted image. So it becomes this cycle. Distorted image, I suck. Believe the lie. Oh, no, it sucks. Find relief. Oh, that feels better. No, it doesn't. That makes me feel shame. Oh, look, look here I am back again. So I just keep going round and round. Meanwhile, in the middle of all this is a don't talk, don't trust, don't feel message. And I, no one ever told me that. I got the message though. My dad was a public figure. We had to keep everything under wraps or it would end up in the paper. So we, I have lots of practice about hiding dysfunction and that's not a good thing for me today. I don't want to be good at that. I want to get better. The only way off of, I call it a six cycle carousel. And the only way off of that six cycle carousel is, is grace. It's grace. And grace is in direct opposition to works, which is my perfectionism. I still think if I can get everything just right, everything will be just right. But it's impossible because I'm a human and I'm comparing myself to a 10. I'm not a 10. I might not even be a five, but if I can accept that I'm a five and God is a 10, that's how I can surrender the control, my will over to the power of God and accept that I am not God. And I am very creative in the ways that I will try to control situations. I think, I think I'm just trying to make it the best it can be. And I have to check myself, check myself because perfectionism and works is a failing course it is a you can't win situation and it just creates more shame but grace means i'm going to get what i i am free it's a freedom 
I have grace from God. I don't have to work to get God to like me. He already likes me. I have grace. I can do it. I can do a lot of things wrong and I can still be forgiven. And that's why I have to forgive. I must not blame my parents. As soon as I blame my parents, I have take I have made a handshake with the with the darkness because now I'm blaming them and it's a handshake. I'll never I can't get better blaming. I have to take responsibility. The things that happened to me as a child were not my fault. There's no other way I could have turned out. There's no other way you could have turned out. So we don't have shame. That's why my, the group is called shameless. The guy that robbed me back in that sent me into ACA is, is helped. We started shameless, which is a meeting called shameless. We win Wednesdays and shameless is a really big part of my life. Like to keep making sure I'm not eating shame because it will only make me sick. It's like bad fruit. Don't eat the fruit. You can see the fruit flies flying around it. Don't eat it. Right. I don't want to be sick. I want to be well. I think I was going to, I was going to read you something about that too. Let's see. Um, oh yeah, here we go. We did, uh, eight, let me see page 86 in the big red book. You find that for us. Fitting into a dysfunctional family. Oh, we already read that. Okay. Yeah. So we already read that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there's another interesting thing about how many generations. Actually, I want to read this. Page seven. In ACA, we realized we could not have reacted any other way given our dysfunctional upbringing. As children, we focused on the odd or neglectful nature of our parents' behavior. We mistakenly thought we had caused their moods or attitudes. We could do something to change circumstances. We did not realize that we were children and the adults were responsible for their own feelings and actions. Many of us thought we caused our parents' addiction. We took responsibility for drinking or drugging, thinking we could make them stop, slow down, and eventually love us. But as children, we took responsibility for our parents' anger, rage, blame, or pitifulness. We were children, but we unknowingly took responsibility for our parents' feelings and poor behavior. This mistaken perception, born in childhood, is the root of our codependent behavior as adults. By living with a blaming or shaming parent, we developed a dependent false self. Our false self constantly seeks outward affection, outward recognition or praise, but we secretly believe that we don't deserve it. Meanwhile, the inner child is driven into hiding. The self, false self is the adult child personality that is expressed in the 14 laundry list traits. Many adult children arrive at their adult years with an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, which they communicated as love or nurturing care. This behavior is a disguise to get the love we never received as children. Before recovery, many adult children had relationships in which they thought they were in love with another person. In reality, they were trapping or manipulating that person to extract affection. This behavior creates the response that we fear most, abandonment. And that's what we all have in common. If we're all different kind of cars, we have different looks and some of us could be a Camaro. Maybe some of us are a truck. Some of us are a SUV or this or that, but we all have similar things in common. And shame is one of them. Blame is a habit that humans have. And 
and and and abandonment is is really our core fear and 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 I think that we all really do want to be known so I, I'll tell you that song I have a song called to be known so um does anybody want to know about the closets in my soul and if you try to help me clean them out could you stomach it I have my doubt because even if you brought your best intentions, you might see things too dark to mention. But oh, I want to be known. I want to be known. I wish that we could fly on silvery wings through a smiling sky finally. But if we do, promise me you won't look too carefully because I'm afraid that you might see my vicious fear that you will leave but oh I want to be known I want to be known I really think we all want to be known and we can be here we can because we love each other here and this I like to read because it's just fascinating to think of okay in order for you to be born you had two parents four grandparents eight great great grandparents 16 second great grandparents 32 third great pen great grandparents 64 fourth grade fourth grader parents getting fourth grade parents 128 fifth great grandparents, 256 sixth great grandparents, 512 seventh great grandparents, 1224 eighth grand great grandparents, 2048 ninth great grandparents. And for you to be born and live here today, after 12 generations, you have 4,094 ancestors ahead of you. That's a lot of dysfunction to get passed down and our big red book tells us that it is progressive and it compounds so we you have you're getting the most dysfunction of all of those 4024 promise but here's another cool thing we get all the blessings too so it's not all negative our parents were they weren't no one's good or bad and they had beautiful things to give us too so sometimes i like to think for a moment about how many struggles how many wars, how many battles, how much sadness, love stories and hope, happiness, and just the hope for the future that my ancestors had. They had to, I, they had to go undergo all of that for me and for you, yours to exist in this very, very present moment. You are crucial and sacred part of many of your family members before you. In that bloodline, you're the dream. You're the dream that they had for freedom. So there's there's blessings, you know, and the bad stuff. I think it's important to see both because we're not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I don't want to blame my parents. As soon as I blame them, I'm I'm not I'm not being responsible for my own life today. The shame breaker really is the it's not my fault. That's what I think. For me, it is.
I had some notes here I was going to say about that. Oh, on the shame blame game. Okay. So the to know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's not just know the it's not just the truth will set you free. It's to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So to know the truth about myself, my stories, those inner things that need to be touched by God. I have to know those and I need to stay in the here and now. So two themes I believe are in my life. One is the past. And when the past, if I'm in the past, I'm in fear and regret and pain and the past is dead. It's a corpse. It's not alive. It's over. The future, I can't live there either because that's a future freak. I'm hypervigilant. I worry too much. In the future, I don't need to do because it's probably not going to turn out that way anyway. Any of my hypervigilance isn't going to change it. I'm hypervigilant because I'm intelligent because I've survived a lot. I figured out how to survive all this crazy. And some of those traits don't serve me now, but I'm a hard-headed motherfucker, okay? I don't get the message too quick. I'm going to tell you, oh, I only have one minute. Okay, never mind. I don't get to tell you, but I'm on a timeout because I didn't trust my gut instincts. And when I don't trust my gut instincts, and I, I it's so vital, I broke my own boundary, went to a house to visit someone that I didn't want to visit, and I broke the boundary for myself because I was having a call to parent freakout mode with some where, with where I was. And I fled to this place that I didn't want to go to. And I fell down some very steep st stairs that were slippery in my slippy socks. And I broke two ribs. I have two broken ribs right now. So I can't have broken ribs. I am literally the player on the field that the coach benched right now. And the reason I realize I'm in an element of fire right now. I try to think of my recovery in ways of um, the elements. If I'm in air, I'm really thinking about everything. I'm trying to figure it out. I, I, but I, I believe the air is important to, I can reroute my thoughts. I can capture those negative lies that I believe about myself and throw them out. This, our writing calls those thoughts, um, intrusive thoughts, uh, our critical parent. And some places believe that you should make friends with your critical parent. I'm not doing that. I'm not making friends with my critical parent. I don't believe I have a critical parent. I believe I have echoes of a critical parent. They're echoing in the chambers of my heart. I am not that. No, we love ourselves. I I'm not going to negotiate with the critical parent. I am just going to kick it out of my house. You're evicted. You're a lie. You're evicted. I have to replace those thoughts with the truth, the affirmations. And this is how I reroute the wiring in my brain. Because those highways of self-defeating, self-doubting talking is not working. And I have to reroute and create new neurotransmitters. And I'm, I gotta tell you guys it works. And I know my time is out, but please use the tools. Please use the phone. Please read the material. Please come to meetings. Please share. You'll be surprised when you share. Stuff that comes out of your mouth, you don't even know what's really going on in your heart. It's amazing. And it's such a service to listen. And for those of you who have your cameras on, thank you so much. I'm glad I don't have to talk into the nowhere. Hello. <laughs>
I I I don't know. I hope you guys got something out of this. Um, but yeah, think about earth, fire. Earth, you're grounded in your civility. Fire is under the pressure of being pruned, figuring out how you need to change. It sucks, it hurts. Stability on the earth, water emotions, recovery is a lot of emotions. You're on the surfing one moment, high, then you're crashed at the bottom of the ocean. All good. Feelings can't kill me. I've had to remember that. When I'm in the down part, I have to say, feelings don't kill me. <laughs> it just feels like it. So fire, earth, and water, and and what am I missing here? I did them all. Air. air. Okay. So air. Think about, think about <laughs> what part of your recovery you might be in. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys for listening. I love you so much.